Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Good Faith Idea Exchange. I'm very excited about this episode, especially. This is part two of my two-parter with Professor Stephen Landis of the University of Rhode Island. We've been talking about media and its effects on culture, its effects on society, and frankly, how media is used to influence the ideas and decisions of the masses, of the public at large. Anyway, I don't want to waste too much time, so let's just jump right into it. Well, also, uh, Professor, you know, there's social media, the advent and the rise of social media. You know, how would you say that rise of social media over the past, you know, 15 years has affected how the public gets its information? Well, I, I think that that's it's I think it's real been a real negative in terms of uh, uh, you know, an informed uh, democracy. I think when social media started off, it was wonderful. It was a way to connect and, and uh, stay in touch with family and friends. But once it became profit-driven, you know, once it's monetarized, whether it be the internet or social media, it changes how it approaches things and what becomes important, okay? So now, What's important for profit is eyeballs so you can be served ads. And what it has done, it has created um, a system of algorithms that, that just feed you more of what you listen to, what not what you listen to, what you uh, agree with. Mm -hmm. So stay engaged so you can be served an ad. Right. And it, it certainly doesn't do uh, public discourse much uh, justice and it creates rabbit holes that that uh, people go down. And I think one of the real things is you know we always bl blame algorithms, but algorithms you know we, we we call algorithms artificial intelligence, and I think it's a misnomer. It's machine learning. Someone creates those algorithms, and it's created by humans mm. with profit in mind. Right. And I think it's done a lot of harm. And I think there's one thing in particular that has done a lot of harm to, you know, open discourse in this country, and, and that is the Section 230 of the, of the uh, I think it's the Communication Decency Act. I might be wrong about the specific act, but Section 230 doesn't hold digital platforms like Facebook, uh, Google, uh, responsible for their content and it doesn't hold the posters, uh, people who post that content responsible for uh, libel, slander, and defamation suits. So it has allowed for the Wild West, things that could never be written in a newspaper or, or broadcast on TV because of those laws, you're not held to any standard that way, you know, legally. Right. I understand why it was done. It was to stop to to try to stop innovation, but what it has done, I think it's created a Frankenstein. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. You know, and, and it, it is kind of sad sometimes when I think about, you know, the fact that there are some, some younger people out there, you know, some of, some of whom might even listen to this podcast, but, um, you know, they, <laughs> you know, but they're probably, you know, they probably don't know of a time they were probably never alive during 
a time when there wasn't the internet, when there wasn't social media, you know? Um, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, or weren't alive when, and, and, and I think part of the danger is that, you know, we don't seek other sources of news. You know, you know, uh, I read, uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, not cover to cover, but I read the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post and the New York Times all every day to get different perspectives. And I consume other media. Some of it's because of my, you know, my job as a media professor, but some of it is also I, I as an informed uh, citizen. And now most people, uh, I forget what the percentage, a huge majority of Americans get their news from social media news feeds, which are curated news, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Curated news on what you generally, what you either agree with or consume. So they just give you more of the same. Right. Now, speaking of our younger listeners, well, speaking of younger people in general, Mm -hmm. can you tell me about net neutrality? You know, what is it and how did it affect the internet? Yeah. um, Well, you know, I'm not sure the exact, I I think we're not in net neutrality basically says, think of the the net as a pipe. And what it says is that you don't get the owners of these pipes, which may be AT&T or Verizon or, you know, any of the uh, internet service providers have to allow all traffic to pass through those pipes and pass through equally. At the at equal speeds, right? You can't throttle. You can't do that. Now, as far as I know, now I, I should know as a professor. But I believe since the Trump administration, net neutrality is no longer a rule. You know the FCC rule, but the internet service providers have not really used it in such a way because they're afraid of uh, backlash. And there was some talk in the Biden administration of going reinstituting these rules and net neutrality, but it, it hasn't had a lot of uh, uh, push to it because internet service providers really haven't, you know, instituted these things. And 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 the problem with that is that that means someone's going to be judging what ideas are are important and what ideas should go through those pipes, and it's it, it's going to be private companies that are making those uh, those choices. You know, I think of, of the pipes of, of the Internet as more of a utility and should be. And that's what net neutrality kind of uh, did, you know, made them like a utility. In other words, they can't utility can't company can't decide that. Well, we'll give you less uh, less power to your house unless you pay more. All right. Or, you know, but that's what net neutrality, lack of net net neutrality will allow the Internet service providers to decide what will be um, uh, pushed through the fastest, which may not go through. And what it does is who's going to be able to pay for that? Well, the Netflix are going to pay. Uh, Facebook is going to pay. Google, they're they're the the big conglomerates. But it certainly stifles innovation of Let's say stevelandis.com. I can't pay to get my message across or tyrone.com. Right. You know? So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's very stifling to both uh, a free change of ideas and, and to innovation. I hope that explains it to you. Gotcha. It does. It does. Um, now, now, Professor, um, mass media, 
is mass media truly a cost-free entity to you know to the viewer and and, and would you say mass media has a profit motive and and if so how important is it no it it, it what it is is we think we're getting something for free and in many ways we are but we're paying i think an intellectual price sometimes and i think we have to realize that we are the product with the people being sold so we get something for free so someone can sell our ears eyeballs etc to someone to sell us something so that's the trade off okay for instance you don't think that you're the product when you go to google and you look up uh uh, where uh, where do most rabbits live in America? I mean, something as innocent as that. Mm. Well, guess what? I, I mean, someone is, you know, someone is looking at you and may send you a, uh, you know, deliver an ad for a pet store to you. Okay, and and I think because of that, because we've forgotten that we're the product, we uh, we've also forgotten a lot of other ads. You know, we forgot. The, the loss of privacy that that's engendered by that. Right. Now, how would you compare electronic news to print news? And how would you compare free press to the independent press? Yeah. Uh, free press is, we have a free press, you know, it always made me laugh when, when, who, who, who did they say uh, when Obama was the president, you know, Fox was railing about the lack of free press and Obama wants to control it. Well, if it wasn't, a, if it was truly a lack of free press, Obama would have shut Fox down. OK, but there is a you know, there is a free pet press. And my point about it being independent, I think it's very beholding uh, to corporate interests in, in a way that, you, you know, we have a. Um, our mass media was always set up during the um, the twenties. It was always considered, you know, the public airwaves were were publicly owned, but the companies were privately owned, and the and you know it was a time of unbridled capitalism. And our mass media was set up as capitalistic endeavors, where you know you take some uh, democracies in Europe that had a different approach where they saw their mass media as having a social responsibility to the public in general. They weren't set up as, as uh, profit-driven, but ways to uh, bring the ideas and the culture of that country together. For instance, the BBC is the, they were trying to disseminate uh, information and cultural and keep the empire together, really. You know, and it wasn't for profit. Now you can argue about the the you know the uh, ethics of uh, you know empire, you know, because certainly it was much more exploitive years ago than it is today. But it, it was it had some social purpose, and I'm not sure that our media ever had a social purpose. And however, you know, it has had social benefits. You know, it, it in in you know it. it you know, in, in the 50s and 60s, TV acted as a very uh, creating common experiences for people, you know, right. uh, and maybe even into the 70s. So, I mean, media has not always been uh, uh, the devil incarnate. Yeah, right. <laughs> I hope that answers your question. That absolutely does. And, and I don't want to, and, and not that I, I don't let me be too professorial or go on too long. 
No, Please. no, this is, this is really good. And, and I appreciate, I appreciate this insight. This is very good. Yeah. And, um, and, and let me, you know, let me, and, and I, I, I try to tell every class, these are my opinions. Okay. And my take on my study. And I always tell everybody smarter than smarter people than me may well disagree with what I say. Okay. Because I don't think I speak the only truth. <laughs> right. Right. I understand. Now, Professor, um, I've heard uh, myself more and more recently about the emergence of China. I, I would hear something about China's media great wall. Yeah. Um, and, you know, could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, everyone saw, you know, a, a lot early uh, technological determinists like Marshall McLuhan, when he was looking at TV, uh, basically saw uh uh, electronic media is a great uniter, you know, bringing the world together, seeing common things, seeing how other people live as, as you know, and he talked about it being able to create a, a universal electronic soapbox where everyone would have equal kind of access. And I think that was also the hope of, of the, um, uh, the Internet as, you know, being this, this great uniter, this great uh, democratic, not dem democratic, not in terms of type of government, democratic in terms of people, way of, of sharing information and ideas. But two things happened. Once it got monetarized, and once it got monetarized, that changed the whole nature of it. And number two, because it, there was some much free flow of ideas. Obviously, authoritarian governments uh, saw that as a threat. And China now, you know, at first, uh, big internet companies were doing business there, but fewer and fewer are now. And they have their own, they have their own Google, their own Amazon, their own Facebook, uh, you know, and it's totally, um, I don't want to say control, but yeah, controlled and surveilled by the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. So they totally control the pipes there. Okay. And watch what information is being disseminated and talked about there. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. And again, stop me if I'm wrong. You know, in the 50s and 60s, when there was a revolution, uh, you know, they say, well, take the radio station, take the TV station, you know, when, when that exists. And now what happens when you see uh, uprisings or even popular uprising, they shut off the Internet because that's the main way to stop the free flow of information. So, it, you know, if, if people have been uh, talked about this Chinese regulation as the Great Wall, you know, the, the uh, electronic Great Wall of, of China. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, another quick question, Professor. Um, would you say, you know, has the media become a globalized entity? And, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and, and if so, how did that how did that globalization occur? Yeah, I, I think it has been where it's allowed to grow. And I think it, it it's done so because of uh, I mean, it's a business. And just look at what's happened in business in general. We see conglomeration of all types of businesses, right? Whether the, whether it be the aerospace business or the, you know, you name a business and everyone's conglomerating, getting better, uh, getting, excuse me, getting bigger and, and taking away, you know, buying their 
competition and taking it away. And I think uh, there is certainly uh, a globalization, certainly, that's taking place in, in uh, uh, for instance, Fox. They own entities in Australia and America and Great Britain, you know, and there are many larger networks like that. I mean, you know, look at look at the way that uh, well, that's U.S. Yeah. So yes, there is there is globalization that's that's going through, and you know, there's two thoughts on that. One sees global since since mass media has basically been a Western phenomenon. Phenomena. Uh, some people see that as uh, cultural imperialism, so to speak, and some people see it as wow, great, we're bringing other technologies into underserved. Uh, areas of the country. So you can view it in, in different ways. Gotcha. Now, is there any advice that you have for, for, for the average American citizen who regularly indulges in cable news, social media, and, and the like? And are there any resources or, or programs you would you know recommend for a better understanding of this as a whole? Well, I mean, obviously, there are a number. There are a number of, of books, you know, uh, that can be read. I think, you know, obviously, I use uh, one text in in my course, which is uh, Media Society by Cruteau, which gives, I think, a very broad look at and tries to say very contemporary uh, on the uh, various aspects of of media. But I think if I could give one bit of advice, is various sources of information. In other words, don't just take one source of information. Don't use similar sources of information. I watch Fox News. You know, obviously, I'm a media professor, and I watch MSNBC. Make sure you see both sides so you're reading other points of view. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think there's even... Um... There was something I had, I had watched myself on Netflix um, a little while back. I think it was called The Social Dilemma. Oh, yeah. It, it, I'm glad you brought that up. As a matter of fact, I make it a required film in my new media and society class. Uh, and, and what it does is it does a, it, it humanizes and explains what an algorithm is more than anything, I think, when I think back. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think it... It clearly shows how uh, social media, to keep your eyes and your engagement, is in a manipulative uh, mode. Right. I um, I would absolutely agree with that. I, I highly recommend it. And I also recommend another movie uh, of The Great Hack, which is about 2016 election selling of information by Facebook when they claim they didn't to uh, you know one political uh side and 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 um i think two other things i'd recommend is uh, 2001 space odyssey i think it's interesting to okay. see an old film with that in mind and, and and another book that i think is, is so timely now is uh alvin toffler's future shock he was a futurist who wrote in the 70s some very interesting points that some would argue are, are are happening in some ways right now. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Professor, that's um, that's pretty much all I had for you. Um, oh. I want to I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me um, here. Of today. course. 
any any time Tyrone. And like I say, this is just one person's view. Not everyone would would agree with me. And I think that's always important for everyone to remember. Always, you know, always find another source. All right. And that's the end of this two-parter. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, you know, frankly, this was one of the more, to me, one of the more interesting and um, informative interviews uh, that I've that I've done. And, um, you know, it, it was on a very, a very big topic uh, right now. I, I think that right now media is much more scrutinized, criticized, more closely looked at than maybe it's been in any time that I can remember. And um, I, I thought it would be a really great uh great thing to have someone to interview someone who can, who can break this down, um, from such a passionless, uh, perspective. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it and, um, stay tuned for more. Have a great day, everyone.